Morning, Gateway South. Well, as you saw, Eric is using uh, cheap tactics, but no matter what, he's calm, cool, and collected. I'm sure he won't be losing any hair off his head, no matter who he goes up against. Hey, uh, as we dive in today, let me ask you this. Any of you all grew up with parents uh, that uh, when it was time to go shopping, you were almost embarrassed because they complained about the price of things all the time? And y'all, my mom is in the room, and she is turning her head red right now at me. Uh, But I feel like I've become the same way, especially nowadays, like inflation hit and you walk through the HEB, you know, produce aisle and like strawberries are $7. And I'm like, the devil is alive and well at HEB, right? Ain't no way I'm paying $7 for strawberries and $32 for the organic ones. You know what I'm talking about? But I grew up with, uh, with a mom who was like this. Uh, she was always out for deals. She wasn't maniacal like crazy couponers. Forgive me if you're a crazy couponer. But she was always ready, right? Her favorite four-letter word was S-A-L-E, uh, sale. Or if you were Hispanic, sale. <laughs> and if there wasn't a sale, she would make one, right? My mom would see the DirecTV commercials. For example, this is a fact. Uh, she can attest to this. I'm not making this up. She would see a DirecTV commercial, and it'd be like new incentives for new customers. And she would pick up the phone, call this poor uh, DirecTV customer representative, and say, hey, I see y'all are doing deals for your new customers. What about those of us who've been with you for six years, seven months, and three days? What, <laughs> what kind of deals are you willing to do for your loyal customers who are willing to switch their loyalty? This was the mom that I grew up with. And by the time she hung up that phone, we had like 50 new channels free for the next three years. <laughs> and y'all like that? Grew up like that? All right. It's not cheap. It's being frugal, right? And, and honestly, growing that up that way, I think it made me a serial negotiator. I don't like paying full price for much of anything, but you're the same way. Don't, don't look at me crazy. You're the same way, right? Don't judge me. A lot of you are the exact same way. Come on, let's be real. When's the last time you bought something of significance, for example, like a car, and uh, it, you bought that vehicle, uh, what's the first thing that you do when, you, uh, when somebody asks you about that new car? Hey, I got a real good deal on it though, man. I got a good deal on it, right? Everybody, everybody says they got a good deal. Like nobody l- brags about paying full price for something, right? Everybody got a good deal. Yeah, my uncle's cousin's nephew's daughter's husband is, is the owner. He's friends with the owner and you know, they gave me that under the table price, right? Nobody ever goes, yeah, man. They dragged me over the coals for that one. I'm surprised I didn't mortgage the house. Like, nobody does that. Nobody brags about paying the full price. We all want cheaper if cheaper is on the table. Nobody likes paying the full price. But we don't just do this with purchases, am I right? We do it with our goals, too. Uh, So many of us have started or restarted fitness journeys and eating plans, and four weeks into January, like, "Uh, this ain't working, I'm going back to Taco Bell, (laughs) Right? We all do this, forgetting that it's a grind and it's a journey and the payoff isn't immediate. It will cost you something. Time, energy, mental discipline. We often don't want to pay the full 
price, right? We want good mental health, but we don't want to spend the money or the copay to see a therapist. We want good grades, but not put the effort into studying. We want to be good parents, but not be intentional with time with our kids, and maybe we're physically there, but not emotionally there. The truth is, in life, we're constantly negotiating the price, and we ask, what's it going to cost? And friends, it's often the case in our journey of faith as well. We want the benefits and not the sacrifice. Uh, we speak a lot here, by the way, about all the things that uh, following Jesus will add to your life. But we often neglect this fact. And if you don't hear anything else, hear this, write it down, tweet it. Following Jesus will cost you something, but it will always be worth it. In fact, when Jesus forecasted his death to his disciples, he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. <clears throat> it costs something. Right? We want the peaks, uh, those seasons where we feel close to God and we feel close to others and everything is flowing smoothly. We love those mountaintop moments, but oftentimes we forget that that intimacy, that closeness, that trust with God, it's forged in the valleys of life. And you have nothing else but Jesus. Today we're going to look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whose devotion to the Hebrew God cost them everything. But the truth is, it was worth it. And the story that we're going to jump into, Daniel isn't mentioned in this story, even though it's in the book of Daniel, right? Likely because he's out of town or away on duty, right? It's a great day to be on PTO, <laughs> if you know what's about to happen. But it's a story, as a kid who grew up in church, we would like color this, uh, this scene in, in Christian coloring books. And uh, the, the, the idea that I got from it as a kid was this, oh, you become a Christian and God saves you from all the bad things. And we know that isn't true. But sometimes the maturity of our faith says that. But what we'll learn today is that truly following Jesus will cost you something. So if you could turn to Daniel chapter 3 with me. I'm going to recap Daniel chapter 2. Last week we talked about John Lee did an incredible job of talking about this, about requiring courage. We learned last week Daniel and his three friends, they tell Nebuchadnezzar this power-hungry, ragey king, his dream, and even interpret it, right? They get this God uh, wisdom that's given to them, this God knowledge that's given to them, and they tell the, the king his dream. And the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar has this is this giant statue, head of gold, chest of arms and silver, belly and thighs are bronze, legs are iron, feet are of this combination of iron clay. And if that's confusing, this dream is actually just a foretelling. It's a prophetic vision of all the kingdoms that will come after the kingdom of Babylon. It's one of the reasons that you can trust the Bible. All of this actually happened. And theologians are in agreement that the, this statue represented the kingdoms uh, of Babylon, which was the head, Medo-Persia, which was the torso, the Greeks, which were the waist and thighs, and the Romans, which were the legs. This prophetic dream. In Babylon, it was this head of gold. And in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel says this to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, that was a dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you're the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. He goes on to tell Nebi. Can I call him Nebi? Your, your kingdom will fall. In this statue, your kingdom will fall, and so will all the others. 
But another kingdom is coming, and that's an everlasting one. It's this prophetic declaration of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth through Jesus. Daniel 2.44 says this, During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. You would think that old Nebi here, he would hear this piece, and he would go, ah, so the dream that I got, it wasn't, even a, it wasn't about me. It, it, it's bigger than me. Instead, he hears, statue, I'm the head of gold. Why don't we make the whole thing gold? And in Daniel 3, where we'll spend our time this morning, we find King Nebuchadnezzar has built such a statue. The narcissism has blinded him to God's sovereignty. It's about him now. It's about Nebuchadnezzar now. King of Babylon, king of the jungle. And look at what happens. In January chapter 3, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messengers to all the high officials and governors and advisors and treasurers and judges and magistrates to all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And to summarize, he goes, whenever you hear the music, you bow down to the statue. In verse 6, anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed down to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. What happened? Nebuchadnezzar gets this interpretation of this dream, and he says, Nebuchadnezzar, it's not about you. It's about the kingdom of the God of heaven, of Yahweh, and it will be an everlasting kingdom. Hey, this dream means it's not about you in the long run. It's bigger than you. In fact, it means that God's in control of it all. And it's as if it goes in one ear and out the other ear. And I can see Nebi just sketching in his journal and say, so how tall do you think we can make this thing? (laughs) Really? It's like he misses the point entirely. But can I submit to you that he does what we often do? That God gives us a picture of what he's calling us to. God gives us a vision for our lives, a passion for the future, not just so that we can get the glory, but so that he can. And we go, yes, God, I receive it. I believe it. That's my future. God, I know you have great things planned for me. Praise your name, God. Now, how do I monetize it? How do I maximize my brand? I mean, your brand, God, your brand. Like Nebuchadnezzar, we say, how, how do I make a name for myself? And we make it about me. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with monetizing the things that you're good at. There's nothing wrong with building brands, but it's about the motivation of our hearts. Who is getting the glory? Is it all to prop yourself up, or is it to live the life that God has called us to live? Friends, as we said from the top, following Jesus will cost you something. And many times it starts with your dreams. Following Jesus will cost you your dreams. 
Sometimes it's not this literal one like Nebuchadnezzar has, but it's this figurative one, the dreams, the ideas that we have for our future. And when I say that, some of us get uncomfortable. When I say that it, costs us, it will cost us our dreams, we, we, we picture God snatching our dreams from our hands, our desires, our passions out of our hands. But when I say that, what I'm saying is it's not often the dream that dies, but it's our interpretation. It's the idea of how we thought things should go. It means that when God has birthed in you a purpose, a vision for the future, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's much bigger than that. It's always about him and what he wants to do in you and through you. It's his kingdom, not ours. It means that our five-year plan, our 10-year plan, our 25-year plan, it bows at the feet of Jesus, not the other way around. If we're honest with ourselves, oh, how often we're just like Nebuchadnezzar. And we may not say it out loud, but our our motives and our actions say, bow down to my opinions and expectations. Bow down to my portfolio and my resume. Bow down to this perfectly curated page of pictures driven by my comparison and insecurity. Bow down to the statue of me. But it costs us something. Before I started to follow Jesus, I was at the University of Maryland. Some of you know this. Um, and I had this idea. I was studying government and politics. I, I was ready to go to law school. I was two years into school. I was already planning and, and doing all the things in preparation to go. But through a series of events, I couldn't make up if I tried. God arrested my heart. And, and I made a decision to follow Jesus And I knew what he was asking me, to leave the school that I was going to, to leave my plans and and, and ideas of the future that I had, to jump into this random small school out of nowhere to go and study ministry. And when I tell you it was the hardest thing that I ever did up to that point, it truly was. I left friends and opportunities and the future I envisioned, and I was lonely, y'all. It was hard. But can I tell you that Jesus met me in that place? And he was faithful. And I would have never imagined the adventure he would take me on just by saying yes. Friends, it'll cost you something, but I promise you it's worth it. See, following Jesus means dying to our self-centered dreams and living to God-sized ones. It means we live from the approval of one, not for the applause of many. Following Jesus will cost you your dreams. Following Jesus will cost you your allegiance. So Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar issues this decree, and he says, bow down or burn. And then the snitches and the haters come out of the woodworks, right, as often do. And they they come to Nebuchadnezzar and say, listen, King Nebi, hey, we heard about that decree you made. Um, By the way, some of the people you set up in positions of power, we don't want to mention any names, but they're not doing their jobs. They don't really want to bow down. I don't think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got your slack message. Whoops, that came out. (laughs) Don't laugh. Some of y'all do this at work. And Nebuchadnezzar gets furious. He is enraged. He blows into a rage, and he orders Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego to come before him, and he is cursing them out. He is livid. And he gives us this ultimatum in verse 15. If you you refuse, he says, I'm going to give you another chance, but if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Can I tell you something? At some point, your faith will be tested. 
Will you worship the idols of culture, of politics, of wealth, sex, self, career, or is your allegiance to God alone? At some point, you have to stand up and say, what we're, what we're doing in this business, it's unethical. I don't care if we're lining our pockets. It's not right. At some point, you're going to have to say, what, what we're doing here as a couple, it isn't God's plan. Following Jesus will cost you your allegiance. The day will come when the addiction you've used to cope with your, your whole life becomes a lead vest and it's sinking you. And it's time to take it off. See, God has to test that which we claim to believe. And the tests are almost always in the fires of life. Can, can I submit to you this? You only know if it's real if it's been tested. Like go to an expensive jeweler and, and you see the shiniest gold earrings and you ask, hey, how many carrots is this? Imagine them responding, to be honest, I don't know if it's even real. <laughs> like we know the only way to test that gold is to put it in the fire. Uh, imagine being in a situation where you need a SWAT team, right? And your rescuers come in uh, and you're talking to them and they're like, hey, to be honest, I've only ever done this in Call of Duty. But don't worry, it's like the real thing. No! You want someone battle-tested. In the same way, our faith is forged in the trials of fire. Following Jesus will cost you your allegiance. It says, I, it says will I put my trust in myself and in the systems of this world, or will I put my life into the hands of Jesus? The scripture tells us is the author and the finisher of our faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are now faced with certain death. If they do not make their beliefs about God, bow before their current circumstances. It's a reality that in the Western world, we don't have to deal with. Like, we will never probably right now in our lifetime face physical persecution for the beliefs that we hold. But it's a reality that Christians around the world face every single day. It's a faith that is battle-tested. While we wonder what our coworkers may think or we worry about fear of being canceled, believers in places like Iran, Somalia, China, North Korea face literal life and death consequences for following Jesus. It costs something. I remember reading the book, um, Seeking Allah and, and Finding Jesus. It's one of the best books I've ever read in my life. It's by a man named Nabil Qureshi who actually passed away a few years ago. And Nabil was this Muslim man, and, and through years of a, of a faithful friend, of a faithful follower of Jesus, just loving him and, and having these conversations about Christ and showing him that the God of the Bible is real, he, he comes to this place of putting his trust in Jesus, even though he was not just raised, he, was, he wasn't raised nominally Muslim, he was fully in and believed and even memorized the Quran. And he comes to this place of following Jesus. And, and Nabil writes that so many Muslims and so many people from other religions have these encounters with Jesus. They even have supernatural visions sometimes of Jesus. But they don't cross that threshold, some people, because of the fear of retribution, the fear of persecution, and the fear of familial isolation. Some people come to that threshold of knowing that the God of the Bible is real, but they say, I, I just can't leave my family behind. I'm afraid of what they'll do to me. It's a reality that sometimes in this, in this side of the world we won't face. But faith requires testing. See, when you encounter a follower of Jesus, 
or maybe you're in this place, and you, somebody who hasn't truly suffered or, or, or been through the trials of life, of the fires of life, don't call them fortunate. Call them unprepared. Navy SEALs put it this way. You don't rise to the occasion. You sink to the level of your training. I would say you sink to the level of your faith. So Nebuchadnezzar goes into this rage. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't give an inch. And they say in verse 17, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. And now the heat is on. Their words have written a check that no amount of SPF can cash. And these weren't random individuals. These were men who had wealth and esteem and power. And they're thrown into this blazing furnace, Scripture tells us. Verse 23, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. We said following Jesus will cost you something. It will cost you your dreams. It will cost you your allegiances. It will cost you your comfort. I love the response, by the way. The God whom we serve is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, that's the kind of faith that I want. Friends, that's genuine faith. I believe in order to just, not just survive a trial, but to allow the fires of life to transform us more into the image of Jesus, we need a, but even if he doesn't, kind of faith. Father, I'm doing everything right, but the bills are piling up and the jo jobs aren't calling me back. I believe you're going to open the doors and I believe you'll do it in this timeline, but even if you don't, I'll thank you for everything that I have. And trust you as provider. God, I believe you can heal this terminal illness that me or my loved one is facing. But even if you don't, every fiber in my body will worship you as king. See, the response stops the story from devolving into this false promise that God will save every faithful person from suffering and death. It's not true. That wouldn't do justice to all the heroes of scripture and history that stood boldly in the face of persecution and were martyred. Following Jesus will cost you your comfort. At some point, the rubber of your faith will meet the road of suffering and you will be uncomfortable. And I, I, I want to say this, and forgive me if it steps on some toes, it stepped on my own. But if, if in your journey of following Jesus... Uh, your worldview, your lifestyle, your politics, or your choices have never been made uncomfortable by the teachings of Scripture, then maybe the question is not that you've been following Jesus. Maybe you've simply invited him to follow you. At some point, it will be uncomfortable, and there will be a time of suffering. These men, in the face of losing it all, even their very lives, say, take it, because he's worth it. Nebuchadnezzar, after they're thrown into the fiery furnace, he jumps up and he says, didn't we tie up three men in the furnace? In verse 25, he says, look, I, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. He orders them to 
come out of the furnace. And scripture says that they come out and it says not a hair on their head was singed. Their clothing wasn't scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. Scent of heaven, maybe, for those of you who remember it. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. See, God did not save them from the fire. He saved them in the fire. I promise with all the courage, fortitude, and faith, they were not the same people when they came out of the fire as when they went in. See, we learn the depths of who God is in the trying times of life. It costs you something. Following Jesus will always be worth it. Jesus himself, he said this in Luke. He says, and if you do not carry your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple." He says, you got to hate everyone in comparison to loving me, yourself, your family, your friends, your mother, your father. And then he says, pick up your cross and follow me. And this would have been the point in the Bible where I would have probably got kicked out of the Bible if I was there. Right? He says, pick up your cross. Like, we don't read that the same way 2,000 years later because the cross and the cru- and a crucifix has become like we put them on chains and earrings and gold and bumper stickers and windows and churches. And, and it's a symbol of freedom now, but back then it wasn't. It was a Roman torture tool. It was a symbol that says you mess with Rome, you get the cross, you suffer, you die, you are crucified. You die a horrific death. And Jesus knew exactly what he was saying then and what he says now. He says, it's going to cost you something. In verse 33, he goes on to say, he says, he says you've you got to count the cost. Nobody starts a building without counting how much it's going to cost them. Nobody goes to war without knowing how much it's going to cost them. And he says, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. These words uttered to a crowd 2,000 years ago still echo to the masses today. People then and people now still ask, what's it going to cost? And Jesus, without batting an eye, says, everything. See, following Jesus is free. There are no initiation fees. There's no monthly subscriptions or cancellation fees. It doesn't go up like Netflix does. But make no mistake, it will cost you something. And I love that Jesus got straight to the point when he's surrounded by the cross. He says, here's the reality. Following me means death to the old you. But some of you love yourself and love this world so much that I want to save you the disappointment, he says. You have to give it all up. And why did Jesus say that? Why does he still say that? Because he sees what we don't. And he knows that if you stay a fan for too long, eventually you leave when things don't go your way. So what he's looking for is followers, followers that stick through, through thick and thin. And listen, Jesus didn't rebuke fans, by the way. Everyone was welcomed into the crowd, fans, followers, even foes. And, and, And here at Gateway, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, we believe the same thing. Whether you're a fan, a follower, a foe, it doesn't matter, you're welcome here. But there is this inexpressible joy and adventure that awaits the follower of Jesus. As we said, it'll cost you something, but it'll be worth it. In fact, I want to correct that a bit. 
following Jesus won't just cost you something, it'll cost you everything. But it'll be worth it. Why do we say it'll be worth it? Because he's the one that sticks closer than a brother. He's the one that walks with you through the fire. He's the one that says, hey, listen, I want to right-size your allegiance. I'm the only one capable of receiving your worship. I'm the only one who can fill every God-sized hole in your heart. I'm the only one that can bring you peace that surpasses understanding. Why is following Jesus worth it? Because it's joy beyond our circumstances. It's a God who cares deeply that will never leave you, that will never forsake you, that is with you when everyone else abandons you. When we die to our old lives, we realize that we're being raised to life new with an everlasting God on our side because the prize isn't to be safe like the prize of these three men when they walked through the fire wasn't that they got rescued from the fire The, 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 the prize the end game of Christianity is not fire insurance the reward is knowing him the one who loves you and made you and is with you the band could join me on stage. When you decide you won't bow to the pressures of culture, your family, your brokenness, there's a supernatural strength that rises up in you and around you. When you say, Jesus, no matter the cost, no matter the comfort, you get the gift of him. He, he doesn't save you from every bad thing that happens, but you get him. And you find that he's worth it. He's worth every sacrifice. He's worth every suffering. He's worth every consequence. He's worth everything. And knowing that changes everything. Viktor Frankl, a survivor of the German death camps in the Holocaust, he quoted a Nietzsche aphorism and he said this, he who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. Friends, we have a why, and his name is Jesus. Because in Christ, suffering and death is not the end. Friends, you still, if you still have breath in your lungs this morning, he's not done with you. And even when that breath runs out, he still won't be done with you. His love will continue for all of eternity, and you will find that he's worth it. So the question for us today is, have you counted the cost? Could you stand with me? Are you ready to surrender your life to Christ in order to truly live? Are you tired of just doing things your way? Listen, there's an invitation to a beautiful death where I die to myself and live to the person that he has called me to be, the person that he has created me to be. And here's what's dope. Jesus and Luke, when he's telling them, count the cost, you're going to have to carry the cross. It's going to cost you something. And people are walking away and people are leaving. He gives them this parable of the shepherd who goes after the one and leaves the 99 behind, the one who counts the cost. See, Jesus looked at you, he looked at me, and he counted the cost. And without blinking an eye, he said, yes, he's worth it. She's worth it. You're worth it. Lived a sinless life and his mission was death on a cross but it did not end there he was resurrected three days later and because of that we find freedom 
See, the call to die is an invitation to the resurrection that he wants to do in your life and in my life. It's death to the old me so that the new me can live. Today we're celebrating baptisms. And can I tell you, it doesn't take jumping through a bunch of hoops to follow Jesus. It simply takes an act of surrender from your heart, heart and from your mouth saying, Jesus, I surrender my old life and I want what you did on the cross to count for me. And if you pray that today, can I tell you, your place in eternity is secure, but that's not the goal, it's not the prize, it's not just, oh, I made it into heaven. You get him here, now, forever. If any of you pray that prayer today, we would love to celebrate that with you. Nothing's stopping you. It'll cost you something, but it'll be worth it. So as we go into this last song, what are you believing God for today? What are you asking him for that seems impossible? What do you pray when nobody else is listening? Can I tell you he still wants that prayer? There's a quote that says, bold pray- God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. Whatever you're praying for, is it, is it a terminal illness? Is it, is it debt that seems insurmountable? Is it situations in your life that you don't know how you're going to figure out? Can I tell you, you can pray to the God of heaven and he hears you and he's with you. Even if he doesn't rescue you from that situation, he is with you in that situation. We don't worship a God that says, okay, uh, you're going through that. See you on the other side. He says, don't be afraid. I love you. I'm here. I'm close. So would you make this next song your anthem with me this morning?